Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Reveries Podcast. I'm your host, Ever Saka Joby, with another quarantine edition of our podcast. You can find us on our social media pages at No Referees Pod. You can find us on our new YouTube channel, No Referees Podcast. We're joined today by our very, very special guest, Mr. 410 himself. He's a reporter. He's been a track and field athlete. He embodies what the Camden Yard uh, lifestyle is all about. You can find him everywhere on social media by searching his name, Dion Broxton. My man, who's a Ravens fan till he dies, Mr. Dion Broxton. What up, brother? Hey, how's it going? Man, good, man. Just chilling out here, man. Hey, how about them Ravens in that draft, brother? We're looking good. Um, I'm a little I, – I, I don't want to sell anybody short, but we got the dude from LSU – the uh, inside linebacker, which uh, that's what we needed, because once we lost C.J. Mosley, everybody was just tearing us up uh, across the middle. Because you know, uh, C.J. Mosley was that like enforcer. He was like you know Ray Lewis 2.0, where uh, he could cover. He would play uh, call the play calls and everything like that. And we got that dude from LSU, and he looks good, but I think he might be a little undersized. And I, I looked him up, and that's one of the things he got tired of hearing is people saying he was undersized. Because to me, he looked like a strong safety. safety. But, um, but, I mean, from watching the tape, you can see the kid can play football. So I think we made some good moves in the draft, and we addressed, it, we addressed our concerns. I was also happy with uh, J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. Um, Mark Ingram had a good year for us. And I feel like you can pretty much find a running back anywhere, but, like, us picking up Mark Ingram in the offseason last year proved well than having, like, you know, a bunch of, like, no-name running backs because <laughs> he had over 1,000 yards, made the Pro Bowl, and I think it, it made uh, – it helped in Lamar Jackson being that uh, more successful. So now we got Mark Ingram and then J.K. Dobbins, J.K. Dobbins in the backfield. I think we're going to have another good season. It's just can we put it together when playoff time comes. Mm. Well, hey, y'all, y'all got Lamar. That's all y'all need, man. Well, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I didn't want him at first because, you know, the uh, projects, you know, special projects. Uh, Denard Robinson was a project. Uh, Tim Tebow was a project. And, you know, if you're basing off of history, it doesn't end well. Uh, Terrell Pryor was a quarterback and then became a receiver. So I'm just like, oh, I don't know if it's going to work, but he proved me wrong. You know, uh, after that first season, uh, I think I read that he was working with, like, uh, quarterback coaches and got in contact with some like you know popular quarterbacks and really worked on his mechanics and stuff like that. So uh, when I saw he had that five touchdown game week one in Miami, I was like, oh man, this this is like a this is not gonna happen again. I think he did it two two or three more times late in the season when he threw for five touchdowns. I was like, man, he proves me wrong. So, but I mean, to me, none of that matters if you can't do it in the postseason. Uh, I'm a big Joe Flacco fan. Yeah, I'm about, to say, he's about to say, he's talking like you're a Joe Flacco fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because you know, it was Joe versus Lamar, and I was on Joe's side. I'm like, I know Joe wasn't the best in the regular season, but 
But when the, they call it, they call him January Joe for a reason. When the postseason came, um, he, you know, he would show up. And uh, and I get it. You know, you, you you can give someone only so long to like prove that they're worth that contract. And obviously, he wasn't worth that contract. But when playoff time come around, he show out. So I was a Joe Flacco guy. So um, when he left, I, I was heartbroken because I was I was in college. Super Bowl, and I even like drove home because I went to I went to uh, York College of Pennsylvania where I ran track for two years, and I drove home to uh to watch the game at home with my family and friends, and I remember once we won that Super Bowl, I came back to college that same night. It was like a forty five minute drive, and I remember just everybody out in the street, just I mean people on top of cars, people beeping their horn. I mean you can go anywhere in the city, and it was just. It looked like the Freddie Gray riots without the rioting, you know? <laughs> so I was, like, I was so appreciative of, like, you know, Ray Lewis and Joe Flacco. And and we've always been known as, like, that tough, gritty team. We not, we were never, like, we weren't, like, uh, flashy like we are now. We were just that tough, gritty, you know, Baltimore team. And now we're flashy, but we're not running in the postseason anymore. So it's, like, there's it's only one reason you play the game. That's to win. And I don't care about – and, I mean, good for, you know, good for Lamar, you know, for winning MVP. But at the end of the day, we want the Lombardi trophy, not the MVP trophy. Right. I'm going to tell you, one of my uh, good close friends played for the Ravens, DeVar Darling. You can see this. What up, brother? Um, he uh, was a wide receiver there for a few years, and he took me on a little tour of the uh, practice facility at Owings Mills. And I was like, man, that's, Ravens, y'all doing big over there. Yeah. Did, what year did he play? Because that name sounds familiar. So he was a he was a receiver there. The uh, if you see this, I'll, I'll know years, but I was the 2007, 2008-ish, because I was interning at Georgetown at the time. I remember driving over from Georgetown to go visit him. And you, and you know why um, that rings up? I was thinking like 06, 07 when you said that, because I, I used to play Madden 06. I think that's the one uh, Donovan McNabb is on the cover, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to hear me all the time. So when you said that name, I'm like, it's like a name for Madden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you catch that thing. And so before yeah. we get to, you know, Baltimore, you know, I just want to – you mentioned that you uh, were a multi-sport athlete. You know, I want to know here, – here on No Referees, I ask all my guests. There's a No Rules, No Text, No Whistles podcast. You can say anything, anything you want. When was your first interaction with a referee that you remember? And what, what was your interaction like? That's a good one. Um, I started playing. I, I remember, I, and it wasn't like a direct interaction. I, I started playing football in eighth grade, or the summer before eighth grade. I started playing football, and you know when you when you were a first timer. I think I was playing like ten, twelve, but I was thirteen, and I was ringing, so I had to like lose like ten pounds, but I couldn't lose the weight, so they made me lie and say I was twelve. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> See, I was, it was my first time playing, so I wasn't that good. I think I was a center. I played. I mean, I played like just offensive line the whole year, and I was a center at one point. <laughs> I was like 130 pounds and skinny. And uh, one of my coaches came up to me, and he was like, "Hey, man, the referee is telling me that you've been holding every single play. You got to stop doing it." I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing out here, man. And they, the referee never called a flag on me the entire game either. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yeah, you were a 130-pound center soaking wet. <laughs> yeah, yep, exactly. 
and I mean, of course, you know, I got taller and faster and started lifting weights. So when I got to high school, I was playing like safety, corner, tight and all that stuff. All right, cool, man. So talk about Baltimore. You know, I'm a guy from Texas. You know, I, you know, I grew up a huge Cal Ripken Jr. fan. Grew up a huge, back in the day, one of Ravens guys that had Vinny Testaverde. I used to love him play, you know. So talk about, you know, that's all I think I knew from sports. And then as I got as a teenager, obviously the wire came, came around. You know, so I'm talk about this. Right <laughs> so tell me about just being from Baltimore, what it's like, and what most people don't know from the rest of the part of the, the world. Because when I saw your, your Bison fan video and your, your twang, like I knew yep. exactly that you were from Baltimore. Because one of my friends, yep. of my friend uh, Yasmin Perkins, she had that same twang. And uh, I knew exactly what you said with you, I knew you were from Baltimore. <laughs> so they're talking about just, just being from Baltimore, the, just the whole everything 410 you talked about. Um, where do I start? I, uh, well, a lot of – one thing that really stands out, I've been getting all these messages and stuff from people on every platform since the Bison video. And one guy told me – you know, I, I've been doing interviews with the TV stations and stuff back in Baltimore – and one guy told me, he said, I have a friend, I think, I think, I forgot where the guy's from, but he said, I have a friend here who's from Baltimore who always speaks negatively about it. And he said, you know, you guys both come the same, you, you guys both come from the same place, but you seen him be more positive when talking about Baltimore versus my friend. He said, whenever I try to talk about good things about Baltimore, he just always brings up the negative. And I was just, I guess it's like family, you know, like we, we don't pick our family members. Family members, they, they piss us off and they get on our nerves. But at the end of the day, they were the ones who raised you and made you who you are. And uh, that's, I mean, that's what Baltimore is like. It's gritty, you know, you got to watch your back. And when I first moved to Montana, I still had that, you know, like, like my roommates wouldn't lock the door. And I'm just like, y'all didn't see Omar run up in the stash house? <laughs> you know, but that's how, that's how I grew up. You know, you lock the door. You know, you got people might try to, you know, pull, pull one over on you. That's like, that's different in Montana. Like, if you break down on the side of the road in Montana, people will try to help you. If you break down on the side of the road in Baltimore, you don't know what's going to happen, you know. Not to say, you know. You guys saw the, the good with the bad, the uh, crooked with the straight. So, um, so growing up, I always had like that uh, hard exterior. You know, when you're walking down the street, you got to have a mug on your face because if someone thinks they can take advantage of you, they might just try you, you know. So I just always growing up with that hard exterior. And then I really, you know, when you live there, you don't think about where you're from when you've been there your entire life. I didn't truly understand Baltimore until I left when I went, when I went away to Pennsylvania to college. And, uh, you know, uh, when I was in, the, you know, in high school, we all had accents. You know, we all talked like we're from Baltimore. We talked like we're from Baltimore. But once I got to college, that's when people kept saying, you talk funny. Like, where are you from? You talk, and that's when I, like, realized where I came from. And I think most people, well, you know, if you grew up in the hood like I did in Baltimore, you don't you don't get that if you never get out, you know? So I, I learned pretty quickly when I got to college or when I was 18 that I was different from the rest, or Baltimore is different from the rest of the world. And I remember the first time I came home, 
uh, I don't know if you know North Avenue, but North Avenue is like historical in Baltimore. You know, All right, look, the only thing I know about Baltimore is West Baltimore, Cherry Hill. Yeah, that's, that's a rough area. Uh, I remember watching The Real World a few years ago, probably a decade ago now. And one guy on there was from Park Heights. And I was like, how the hell did you make it to the real world? <laughs> it's survived in Park Heights. I remember driving home from school one time and being in, ba- and being in Baltimore. I was like, man, Baltimore is really a rough place. Like, it gave me a new set of eyes. I'm like, damn, Baltimore is a really rough place. And then, of course, you know, when people, when you tell people, oh, you're from Baltimore, the first thing you hear, if it's not the Ravens or Orioles or Cal Ripken, it's uh, The Wire. And I, I can't tell you how many people ask me uh, if the wire is really like that. I'm like spot on, like boarded up hey, houses. That, hey, that's why I, I was going to ask you that too, because, you know, again, the rest of the part of the world, uh, the rest of the United States that don't know anything about Baltimore, only thing, I mean, it's like me, I'm from Texas. Most people think that we ride horses and cowboy boots <laughs> and, you know, same situation. So, you know what I'm saying? So you, I know exactly what you, what you mean. But like you said, yeah. you get a lot of people ask you that. You know, does that make you feel proud or not so proud that like something like the wire is a good depiction? Um, since I work in journalism, you know, you get both sides of the story. You give everyone their fair shake. Uh so you know, it's true. Like it's it I, I don't I try not to think of if it makes me feel happy or sad. You know, I, I'm in the business of truth, so I give both sides. Yes, Baltimore has its problems, but we also have our good parts. Like, I can tell, like, I'll tell people, like, yeah, like, East and West Baltimore, they have its problems, but you have your nice parts, like Harvey East, Canton, Bells Point, Federal Hill, you know, where, you know, where it's pretty gentrified, where in those areas, it's more white people who live there. But, uh, but I, at the end of the day, you know, I tell people that city raised me. You know, it. Like, you, you can't be a dumb. I mean, not. I'm not trying to like disrespect anybody, but you can't be a dummy working in journalism. Like, if you if you want to make it far, you got to see through the BS and you know and see when people try to fool you or try to hide something. You know, so like growing up thinking, you know, you got to be careful, or if someone trying to pull one over on you, you got to. I think that that helped me, you know, in journalism because I, I can see through the BS, you know. I would say it, but I still work for a TV station, so I don't want to get in trouble by cussing. <laughs> <laughs> you good, man. Hey. I'm good, hey, man. Yeah. People come over here, they be themselves, man. Hey, I, I, yeah. I, I, you, 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 family. So I, I got, I got you. So I got a question for you though, and, and yo, Baltimore people will see this when you when you post we post this. Who's more influential to the city? Cal Ripken Jr., Ray Lewis, or Omar Little? Omar. <laughs> I, uh, well, because Baltimore is like, last time I checked, Baltimore is like, it's between like 63 to 68% black. So people relate, I mean, people relate, I mean, if you wanted to get into the nitty gritty, the city is full of black people. Right. Uh, who, who are born and raised there, not the ones who come from different parts of the country to work there. So like, I mean, Cal Ripken is big, obviously, but you know, it's a new generation now. So that's like my grandparents and my parents, they're the <laughs> Cal Ripken generation. But right, right, at the right, end of the right. day, Cal Ripken, and I guess Baltimore was, was more white back then, but at the end of the day, uh, Cal Ripken is more of a, a white icon in a black city. 
So uh, Ray Lewis was huge for us. Uh, <laughs> and I, I don't want to make light of a murder, but when the whole murder stuff happened with Ray Lewis, people were like, oh, that's fitting. He's from Baltimore. What do you expect? You know, he, he's fitting right in. So like Ray Lewis was like, and, and, and you know how it is. Like if, you know, in, in street, when it comes to the street, if you've killed somebody, you get respect. So then somebody was like, oh, Ray Lewis got a body on him. You know, people in the hood, like, damn, Ray Lewis got bodies? It, it gives you that respect. I'm not trying to justify it, but right, it is right. how it is. So Ray Lewis was pretty big in the city. And then when the whole Freddie Gray stuff happened, he did like a Facebook Live. We did a video saying, you know, like, stay home. Like, stop being out in the streets. You know, keep yourself safe. And I think the city responded pretty well to that. But you know who you know who's the new icon of Baltimore now? Lamar Jackson. Even though I'm a big Joe Flacco uh, fan, uh, when we got Lamar, like people just flocked behind him because you don't see too many black quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, now we I think this past year was probably the year of the black quarterback, but like we don't see too many of them. And you know, Lamar Jackson looks like these kids who walk around. You know, with the hair and stuff. He looks just like them. And he got and he so, got that uh, similar twang too. Yeah, yeah, he got that. I don't know what the hell he be saying, <laughs> but he got that, that Florida. Cause my, I got I got a family in Orlando, and when we when we picked up Lamar Jackson, it's like, oh yeah, he a Florida boy. You can tell by the way he talked. I I, did, I can't understand what he's saying half of the time, but uh, I think Lamar Jackson he's going to be a new Baltimore icon, and I mean he got an MVP already. They the whole city is behind him, not because. Uh, he's this, I mean, obviously because he's a good football player, but he he looks and sounds like the real Baltimore. I remember during the uh, Freddie Gray riots, people would say there are two Baltimores, and that's true. It's the harbor where it's nice, and you take your family to the restaurants and stuff and walk along the water. Then it's the hood you drive through to get there. You know, you see the boarded up houses, you see the rats, and I caught flack from a few people. They were saying, like, why are you talking about uh, why are you talking about rats and stuff in Baltimore? You know, like, I hate people like you. I'm like, I'm just telling how it is, man. Like, you know, of course, you know, there are people trying to, you know, clean the city up and do things and make it a better place. But you just don't ignore these things, you know? You got to address it to fix it. And we got big-ass rats in Baltimore. It's just like that. But Omar, Omar is an icon in Baltimore. Uh, he is. So the, the gentleman who plays uh, play Omar's character, uh, when you see him, do you automatically think of Omar or do you just think of anything else? Omar, like, uh, we had a reporter in Baltimore, like, a few years ago. His name was Omar. And he was actually Omar for Halloween. But, you know, we used to say, oh, Omar coming, Omar coming. And then with the whole Bison video, you know, when it was back when the restrictions were being put in place. And uh, across the country. So I think it was like the same week that Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, he put the restrictions in effect. And one of my friends, he made a video. It was like, uh, he made a, a picture. It was like Omar, but he put Larry Hogan's face on Omar. And then the <laughs> next picture was uh, me looking scared at the bison because Larry Hogan, you know, it was Omar holding the shotgun with Larry Hogan's face on it. So it's pretty much saying, I ain't playing no more, get in the house. And I thought it was a pretty funny uh, picture. So you got a lot of culture shocks you're gonna get to, the different places you've been. Talk about yeah. that initial culture shock going outside of Baltimore uh, to see just another part of the country. 
I realized that people are mostly normal and calm. <laughs> like in Baltimore, everyone's just high strung. Like I'm like, I feel like people are just high strung. It's like you might bump into somebody. I remember I was walking in Chicago one time to visit one of my homeboys. And some dude bumped into him, like, yo, watch where you going. I was like, there's about to be a fight right here. But I, I forgot about, you know, how volatile city can be, cities can be. But yeah, when I got to York, I'm like, damn, it's quiet out here. Ain't nobody bothering me. Like, is, is, this, is this how life is supposed to be? And I got, like, I, I got used to it. Um, I remember I would come home. I mean, first of all, I'm not living in my family's house anymore. I'm, I'm on my own. So I was enjoying the freedom. And then I was just enjoying, like, wow, I can, like, walk to the store and not have to worry about getting jumped and stuff like that, you know? And I was just, I was just, like, wow. It was, like, suburbia. Because, you know, York has its city, but the school is, like, on the outskirts. It's in the county. It's, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, York College is in the uh, suburb for, like, it's the county part. It's not in the city, if I'm not mistaken. But I was, like, wow, like, people are nice and calm and laid back and not so high-strung. So that was, uh, but it was, but it was <laughs> when you get calm, comfortable, laid back, you get boring a lot of times. <laughs> so after a while, I got bored. I'm like, yeah, it's time for me to go back home. So I went to Towson, which was like, you know, more upbeat. It was on the outskirts of Baltimore, but it was, it was fun. Like Towson was fun. I had a blast at Towson in York. It just, it just couldn't com compare because it, it was just small and quiet. Yeah, I know. Uh, the thing I know about York being a strength coach is that York Barbell. That's where the yep. headquarters is at. Yep. So you, you leave York, you go back to Towson. Mm -hmm. What made what drew you to the whole journalism piece? You know, how did you start to do the studies there? And, uh, you know, talk about just your, 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 your first couple of starts, you know, what get into the journalism. Well, it started in, uh, I would probably say, middle school. Uh, I'll never forget this. Uh, sixth grade, I wasn't really like paying attention to sports. Like my mom was a big NBA football person, so my mom was always watching sports. But in sixth grade, all the guys would talk about the Ravens game, and I felt left out because I didn't really watch sports like that. So in sixth grade, I started watching every Ravens game, so I could join in the conversations on Monday. And I mean, I was hooked. You know, like I was just hooked. And I remember, like, my – in high school, I mean, I was just, like – I mean, it was just, I was a full-blown sports fanatic by that by the time I got to high school. I mean, I knew, like – I mean, I knew everything. I remember uh, the 2005 – I think it was the 2005 NFL draft. It was the same draft as uh, Reggie Bush, Vince Young, Jamal Charles. And I remember uh, – I mean, I was just obsessed. I remember telling one of my classmates, you know, Jamal Charles, Led the uh, led college football in fourth quarter rushing yards. So that means he gets better as the game goes on. And one of my friends was like, "Why don't you just work for ESPN or something?" And it, it just stuck in my head. And then um, we had in the cafeteria, we, it would always be on ESPN because I went to an all boys school, Archbishop Curley. So we was we would just have it on Sports Center and ESPN all day. And one of my friends joked. He said, "You know, some, some years from now." I'm going to be watching ESPN and I'm going to tell my kids I used to go to school with that kid right there. So, like, my mindset was just to do sports journalism going into college. And, you know, I, you know, like your first few years of college, I, you, just, you just care about partying. That's how, that's how mm -hmm. I just wanted to party, you know. I kind of just, you know, going through the motions with classes and stuff. 
But then when I got to Towson, I was like, all right, I got to start taking this more. Okay, I, I didn't have any internships. I was just taking classes and just skirting by, you know. I was always a good student, but, you know, I was just, I was, was worried about having fun back in college. And then um, I was like, it's time to take this seriously. So uh, my grades got better. I mean, I had like, you know, like a 3.0, but like my grades, like I got like, I think my last semester I got a 3.6 and I made a dean's list. But I was just taking it more seriously. And the goal still was to get into sports. And then um, I took news reporting uh, the same semester as the Freddie Gray riots. And I went down to uh, the protest. Was, yeah, yeah, I went down to the protest to cover them for class. And I saw Lester Holt. I saw CNN. I saw just all of the, I mean, the, the, obviously the Baltimore media, the DC media, these national news outlets, Fox News. I took a picture with uh, Geraldo Rivera. Like I was just like, my mouth was in awe. And that that day, I said I'm gonna be a news reporter because I was already taking. You know, when you when you want to do journalism in sports, you always take the basics. You know, which is primarily centered around news: who, when, where, why, what, all those. So I was just just focused on sports. But then when I saw the Freddie Gray stuff, I was thinking, you know. The city needs somebody from here to tell this story. Because, you know, like, in journalism, we, we come from all over the country, but people really appreciate the hometown guy. Right. And I was like, I was like, and first of all, like, for work, from working in journalism for almost four years, you know, people, if, if someone looks like you and talks like you, they might be more willing to, to talk, like, talk to you on the street. So, like... I don't know if there's like a murder or something and it's, you know, you say, Hey man, did you hear about what happened here? If you're, if you're a white guy from California, they're not going to want to talk to you, especially if it's the hood. But right, if you right, talk right, like right, them right. and you look like them, like, are you, are you from around the way? They might be more, I mean, it still might not, but it's that, that, that slight chance they might talk to you. So um, sports is what got me into journalism and news is what I guess made me a viral sensation, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, going back to sports, so you were one of those guys that can recite uh, stat sheets like the, the rest of them. So at that particular time when you say you just changed your focus to just news instead of sports, did you ever feel in the back of your mind you was going to eventually go back to sports? I'm still thinking about it. Um, Jay Harris, he's the anchor for SportsCenter. I met him at a conference back in 20. 20- 16 in DC. I remember uh, uh, the National Association of Black Journalists conference. And he told me he worked in news and he was just so good that one day, I think, I think we call them headhunters, you, you seeking talent. Uh, somebody just called him up and said, Hey, have you have considered doing like ESPN? And that's how he sagged away into ESPN. And then also with sports, you can be, I mean, you know, in the goal is to be conversational. And sports is just natural for me. I can just talk about sports naturally. News, is, that's not always the case because you're covering different stories every day. So it's like you're trying to wrap your head around this story within a few hours versus sports. I've been watching the Ravens for years, and, you know, I'm an average fan. So, like, if, if somebody wanted me to say, you know, Lamar Jackson had a tweaked hamstring, he's back in the locker room right now, his backup is uh, Trace McSorley. This guy has never – had an NFL start, so he's being called. I, I can just, just recite that because I'm a fan of it. Versus news, you, you got to wrap your head around it. But that's what I do appreciate about news is that 
it's challenging. And when you're being challenged, you're getting better. So uh, it's, it's good for me. And plus, a lot of sports people in small markets can relate to this. It's a pain in the ass shooting sports because, you know, in these small markets, you do everything yourself. So me, I can just, you know, call somebody up. Hey, can I talk to you about this story? You know, go in, you know, 10-minute interview, shoot some B-roll of whatever the – like, say if it's a fire, boom, interview the uh, fire department, then, you know, shoot the house that caught on fire, and I'm done. But with sports, you got to shoot a whole game. Because I, I was a sports intern in college. I interned for my sports department at Towson. You got to shoot the whole game. You got to edit highlights. It's hard. It is so – and then it's less – A lot of work, too. <laughs> yeah, not, not saying I'm not up for it, but if I can, like, do news and then go to ESPN one day and have somebody shoot my stuff for me, I'm not going <laughs> to complain. So it's in, and then it's more guys in sports than it is in news. News is it's all girls. Like at my station, I'm the only guy. I'm the only on air. I'm the only on air male in the news department. And we have uh, in our sports department, we have three guys. So it's and it's much more competitive because there there are less sports anchors and reporters than there is there, than there is news. So. Um, not, not to say that I'm backing down from the ch- uh, from the challenge, but I thoroughly enjoy covering news because it's it's making me a, a smarter, more well-rounded person. And so, but uh, if that avenue, you know, if the opportunity comes for me to cover sports, and and part of being a sports journalist too, you still have to tell a story. Um, you know, like um, if you watch college game day on the, on Saturdays, they always find some story to tell during the uh, countdown. Right. And, you know, you know, this guy had a rough back, uh, you know, rough background. He, his dad was killed at five years old. His mom got cancer. And now he's honoring them, you know, playing at this school, you know, like you have to be able to tell a story. So it all goes hand in hand. I know sports, so I'm not worried about that, but, what I'm learning to do right now is to tell a story. I, I always thought that kind of stuff was just like filler, like time filler stuff. Yes, exactly. And I, I, mean, I appreciate it, man. Like those 30 for 30 documentaries, like I love them. Uh, the, the Jordan documentary that's going on now, Kobe might be having one come out pretty soon. Uh, you know, I, I know I can all, like knowing sport, everybody knows sports. But telling the story is something that everybody can't do. And that's what I'm learning. I wanted to make sure that athletes had access to a, to a shooting machine that they could take anywhere. So I came up with the concept to fold it into a duffel bag. I ended up prototyping with my friend Xavier, welding our first prototypes in the garage. I made it for myself. I also made it for the millions of other athletes out there that are trying to reach their dreams and uh, trying to make it out. All right, so you're in Towson. You know, one of my uh, guys I know over at Towson basketball coach, Pat Scary. Tell I us. interviewed him. Okay, yeah, yeah. To my other homeboy over there, uh, Kevin Clark, just the coach. Shout out to them over there doing a great job. Um, tell me how, and tell all us brothers out here, how you ended up from Baltimore to York, Pennsylvania, back to Baltimore area to Missoula, Montana. Well, uh, 
the city I'm in is uh Bozeman. Um, oh, you in Bozeman? Okay, so tell us yeah, how you right. ended up in Bozeman, Montana. <laughs> so I said um, Matula. I, I looked up your your station, and I, the address was in Matula. Yeah, that that's the main station. So we have like uh bureaus and stuff. You know, bureaus is just like a smaller version of a station. So I'm in I'm in Bozeman, and Missoula is the uh, main station. So that's like okay. the headquarters, you can say, the mothers, the motherboard, mother station, but <laughs> mothership. Um, yeah, the mothership. <laughs> so when I uh, so I, I always knew I wanted to be on TV. Um, I mean, I, I thoroughly love journalism. I'm not one of those people who wants to be on TV just to see myself on TV. I, I thoroughly enjoy what I do. Um, so when I graduated from Towson, I just thought I was going to walk right into the door somewhere and be a reporter. Because, I mean, it happened for a lot of reporters, you know, because they're that good. But me, I had an accent problem. You know, my accent was just too thick. So um, I, I got a job at uh, Channel 2 in Baltimore as an assignment editor. I was part-time. So for four months, I was working at FedEx and working there part-time. I, I think I went like four months straight without having a day off. And what sucks, what sucks about it, I guess it doesn't suck because it helped out in the long run. The day I had my interview was opening day for the Orioles. And I wanted, cause I've never been to an, to this day, I've never been to an opening day. And I wanted to go to opening day uh, back in uh, 2016. And I couldn't go because I had the interview. So, uh, but I got the job. So I did that for four months. Then I got a job at, uh, WJZ in Baltimore, which is like the number one station. Like they go back and forth competing with WBAL as you know these legacy stations that you know it's been like the number one for forever. The people, the talent, they just been there for forever. So, um, but during this time, as working as an assignment editor and as a web producer, I'm like picking reporters' brains. I'm talking to anchors. You know, how did you get your start in front of the camera? You know tell me what I need to work on. I would go out and shadow reporters. I remember one time when I was working at Channel 2, like uh, my, my boss, she let me go out and shadow a reporter on the clock. So I was part-time, so they could allow me to do that by, you know, still getting paid to shadow someone. And that same day, the, the day I did it, there was a police-involved shooting in West Baltimore. And I, I, and that, I was in it. and uh, Not in it, but I was like, I hopped in the car with the reporter and we just sped to the scene. And it, I think the guy had like an assault rifle or something like that. And all the reporters were right there. And the, um, my buddy, he's, he, he's in Chicago now, but my buddy was like, here's the mic, here's the camera, do your thing. And I was nervous because all the reporters were like right there. Cause they all went live at the same time. Like for the 11 o'clock news, they all went live at the same time. So it's like, they're looking at me like, who the hell is this? Like, who is this guy? And he's introducing me like, oh, this is the, uh, he works for us, but he wants to get on air and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. So I'm just like nervous. It's like police tape, people walking by, ambulances, SWAT team. I'm just so nervous. You sweat bullets, uh, huh? You sweat, love. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, the reporter, he was like, keep going. Keep, like, he just kept, I think they made me like say, say stuff like, 30 to 40 times. It just had me keep going until I got comfortable. Now, looking back on it, I mean, that's exactly what I needed, you know? But, um, you know, I used those experiences to um, help me get my first on-air gig. So, um, but the but the, 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 the writing was okay. The shooting was okay. But the big problem was the accent. 
And I just I had to get that down. So um, I, I think it was 20, 2017, I almost got a job in Gainesville, Florida, you know, with the uh, Florida Gators play. Yeah, I almost got a job there. The, the news director called me up. He's like, hey, man, I like your resume. You know, at this time, I got like what? Like a year of experience working behind the scenes. He was like, you know, I like you, but your accent, man. He said, if I bring you down here, you have to prove to me that you can fix that accent. And I'm just like, you know, I'm just crossing my fingers, hoping that he hires me. And he didn't hire me. And it pissed me off. And I was like, you know what? I called a speech pathologist. I worked with her for like four months. And when I put that first tape out, I had three interviews in one week. All because of your accent, though? I mean, dang. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I get it. Because I, I did a podcast with NPR about it. Because my, um, my speech pathologist, she was approached by NPR. It's called, uh, I think it's called Talk American Code Switch. It's called, it's Code Switch. It's, a, it's an NPR podcast called Cold Switch. And I think the name of the episode is called Talk American. And they interviewed me about it. And they were saying, do you, do you feel like discriminated against because you have to sound a certain way? And I said, I said, I guess maybe, but at the end of the day, it's what I want to do. So if it's something you want to do, you, you're going to conform to do it. So, uh, and I get it. You know, I can't be in Montana talking like from Baltimore, like, yo, I can't like be talking like that. So uh, <laughs> you need to understand me. So I, I get it. But um, of those three interviews, one one was uh, making Georgia. My family's from South Carolina. So I, like, I don't want to go to the South and be sweating bullets, man. <laughs> but uh, you know, the bad, other one, all that. <laughs> yep, yep. You seen the guy? Remember the, uh, the, the reporter? Who, uh, the, the bug went in his mouth. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be like him. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be like him. But then I got an offer from Peoria, Illinois. And I didn't know nothing about Peoria. It was just, I just knew Richard Pryor was from there. And as I looked it up, I mean, no, no offense to people in Peoria, but I'm like, it just looks like just like a little, I don't know, rusty city. I don't know. I'm not trying to disrespect nobody. It's far <laughs> out too, but it, it Peoria didn't impress me. So then Montana, they I didn't even apply. They called me out of the blue. And uh it was like, hey yeah, man, we uh watched your uh reel. It looks pretty good, you know. I was wondering if you were interested, you know. They didn't give me the job on the spot, but uh I had like a series of interviews and I, I remember my boss, I had a Skype interview with him. He uh, <laughs> he turned his uh webcam around out the window to show me the mountains. And he was like, yeah, you get to see these every day if you work here. And I'm just like, I'm from, I'm from Baltimore. Like me seeing mountains ain't gonna do nothing for me. Like, I don't care about no mountains. <laughs> and uh, I, I just, I was like laughing to myself, like you can't sell a black guy on no damn mountains, man, I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> hey, look, you gonna sell me for Popeyes. We won't even got a Popeyes in Bozeman. The closest Popeyes <laughs> is in Billings. And the other one's in Missoula. So, like, I don't even got Popeyes. I, I waited, like, three months to get that chicken sandwich because I had to, like, wait, you know? But uh, but what happened, um, you know, I had a series of interviews, and they felt like family, you know? Uh, I was talking to the assistant news director, the news director. They were, like, really selling me on it. And, you know, they always say, go with your gut feeling. 
and I'll never forget it. It was 2018. It was Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, it was Memorial Day weekend at the beach, uh, Ocean City, Maryland. You know, Memorial Day, every, I mean, everybody, all the girls, everybody down at the beach that weekend. So I remember um, my boss called me. He was like, your background check cleared, your drug test cleared. So if you want to move forward, I can send a contract your way. And I'm like, yes, I'd like to move forward. And me, I, I, said, I said, yes, I would like to move forward. But I was just like frozen. I didn't know what to say. I'm just like... <laughs> Damn, like I'm only about to go to Montana. <laughs> and my um and my friends, you know, we we at the beach house and my friends were like they afterwards they told me I wasn't really there. They said it seemed like I was like spaced out and stuff. And it was true. I'm thinking I'm about to pack up and drive two thousand miles across the country to Montana. Um, but that's how I ended in Montana. Um they they just made it feel like family and um and the experience is definitely worth it. I mean, is Montana for me? No. But am I appreciative of the experience? Yes, because you, I, I think it makes you a much more well-rounded person when you can be around different cultures and see different people and just get outside of that bubble. That, that was Baltimore for me because me when I was trying to get my first on-air gig, I was trying to stay as close to home as possible. I, I just wanted to stay. I'm, like, I'm not going to the sticks to be a reporter, you know? I tried, but it didn't work out that way. And I was I was scared to drive to Montana, but uh, I'm so happy I did it. Like, I don't, I don't have any regrets because it's made me a much more well-rounded person. And, you know, if I didn't uh, come here, I wouldn't have that, that video with the bison, you know? I mean, not saying that I need a, a, a viral video to make me who I am, but like, you know, things happen. I mean, if you believe in a higher being, well, if you don't, but you, things happen for a reason. So maybe it right. was meant to be, you know? Right, right, right. So me, I lived in China. I lived in New York City. I lived in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. I lived in D.C. I lived kind of, a little bit everywhere, especially Texas, Houston, Dallas. So for you to say that you took that you know, leap of faith to, to leave your comfort zone. You know, I've lived overseas, so I know, I know what it's like to leave and go far, far away. You know, so tell me about that initial shot like we talked about york you know your, your boss on the webcam trying to sell you with the mountains and the fresh air you know what i'm saying you know what was that like when you touch down you get out your car you step out you just look around see the blue skies tell me what that first experience first of all moment of days was when you got to uh, montana well i've, I've never like up until this point i've only been up and down the east coast like, uh, you know, as as far north as New York, as far south as Miami. I've been to New Orleans, I've been to L.A., and I've been to Chicago. But before this, I've never been, like, in the Midwest or the Pacific Northwest. So when I'm driving from Baltimore, I just loaded up my Honda Civic. So when I'm driving from Baltimore to uh, Montana, when I get to the Midwest, when the tight man, that sky is open. Like, I could see, like... And it was scary because, you know, in the Midwest, there's so many, like, tornadoes and thunderstorms and stuff. You can see the whole cloud on the high. I was like, this, this is about to kill me. Like, I'm about to die in the thunder. Like, I, I've never seen an entire cloud before. And it was like nine of them. I was like, I ain't even going to make it to Montana. It was just, like, thunderstorm after thunderstorm. And I mean, I, I cannot tell you how scared I was, man. Like, I was more scared. Than that, than I was that bison. Like, 
you, you could just see the, like the the storm, like the rain coming down, and the whole cloud. And I'm thinking, man, if I get in this, it's gonna kill me. And then uh, I got stuck at a gas station in uh, Minnesota because it was raining so hard, and I was just like trying to wait it out, but it was not easing up. So I think I waited at that gas station for like maybe 30 minutes to an hour. And I was like, I'm like, man, just forget it. I just got to get out because I'm going to be stuck here if I don't leave now. And then as soon as I get on the highway, I get the beep, 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 tornado warning. I said, oh, hell no. I was like, no, I'm about to get caught in a tornado. But luckily, wherever, it was a warning. So I don't know if, I don't know if it ties down or not. But I mean, I'm going to have to look in the record books. It was, it was like, what? It was... June, like it was June twenty third, twenty fourth, at like four p.m., and I got rid of the tornado warning came on my uh, radio because you know you can't get no service out there, so I couldn't listen to Apple Music or nothing like that. So I had to just listen to the radio because I'm like in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but uh, but most people think Montana is like a cowboy town with tumbleweeds and stuff. <laughs> so when I I, I I did I did my research. But when I got here, I was like, oh, crap, it's like an actual city. <laughs> I expected <laughs> to see, like, saloons and cowboys and stuff. I'm like, oh, it's like an actual city. You thought you were uh, going down the uh, Oregon Trail and all that? <laughs> exactly. Because Lewis and Clark went out here. Like, Lewis and Clark <laughs> discovered all this part in Montana. So when I got there, I'm like, oh, this is an actual city. It's like a, a downtown. It's not nothing elaborate, but it's still like a, it's a city. I said, okay, I, I can work with this, but the the winter man. Uh, it was the last two weeks of February of my first winter here. The last two weeks of February, and the first two weeks of March. Man, we were like, we hit negative forty, and Dang. I was just like, negative. I mean, like negative forty, man. Like people kept telling me, you know, in Montana. It's uh, it's not humid, so it, the cold doesn't hurt as bad. Versus like in Baltimore, it's humid, so humidity makes uh, makes the weather like like if it's hot, humidity makes it feel hotter. If it's cold, humidity makes it feel colder. So everybody kept telling me, you know, it's not that bad. Which man, negative forty for like negative forty, no matter where you go. And and I mean, this was even historic for Montana. Like everyone kept telling me, like. This is unusual. I'm like, you sure? This is my first winter here. And I, I remember posting an article on my Facebook page, and the title was uh, Montana just experienced one of its coldest winters on record. And I'm like, I'll be damned, and it'll be, it'll be when I come here. <laughs> I had the same thing happen to me. You know, this past winter was my first winter in Chicago. And, you know, All-Star Weekend was here. And everybody – Coldest winter in Chicago history, blah blah blah. I'm like, yo, why I gotta happen? The first winter I got you, same situation. Exactly. And I, and when I went to Chicago, I've been there twice. It was hot both times. It was summertime. I was like, man, y'all can't catch a break. It's cold in the winter and hot in the summer. <laughs> you know, talking to people just like uh, the life of a report. Like you're in you're in the trenches. You know, it's not just in front of the camera. It's not just reading uh, from a teleprompter. Uh, one of my good friends in uh, the NBC affiliate in uh, Memphis, Kelly Cook, took me on a little tour one day of like everybody has like little cubicles in the, uh, the the newsroom, and you're sitting there writing with stories. And you know, just trying to tell people about what it's like the time you get to a news station before you get on air. 
Um, it's it's not as glamorous. Um, in a small market, like I'm in a small market right now, you do everything yourself. You set up your own live shots. You shoot your own stuff. You like in the, like in a bigger station, like in Baltimore, you have like an assignment editor, the one who you know looks for the news and can you know call police, call the fire department. You are that person in the small market. Don't worry about uh, get the kitten out the tree type stuff. <laughs> yep, everything. I got damn. They gotta save the kitten too. <laughs> 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 it's it, it's 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 a grind, man. Like you know, some some kids they they think to themselves, uh, "Can I get through this?" And everyone always says, "If you can get through like those first few years in a small market, you know, you'll be fine." Because you know, once you get to like. New York and LA or Chicago, Baltimore, you get a photographer, you just get more resources. So it, it's a grind, but um, I'm competitive. Like Kobe Bryant is my favorite athlete of all time. And uh, I'm competitive. So I, I, I had that competitive nature. So for me, I like getting those exclusives. You know, every reporter is their job to do these things, but those ex- it, it takes work, you know, it takes work to get those exclusive stories and things like that. So when I got here, I'll never forget um, my boss, like my coworkers, we all went camping like my second weekend here. And I, my, I was riding with my uh, boss in the car. And I was like, I said, I, said, I just want to work, man. I just want to work. He was like, like, Dion, like, relax. Like, you know, you're going to have your time. I was like, no, man. Like, I wish I was working right now because I want to get better. Like, it's, a, it's, a cold, it's a mama mentality, you know? Like, I want to get better and I want to compete. And um, so – it's rough, but for me, I mean, growing up, I mean, <laughs> I might complain a lot, but it's nothing compared to growing up in Baltimore. Like, I remember uh, I got some fresh, uh, new, a brand new pair of Air Force Ones one time, and my uncle told me, you know, be careful. I want nobody to take them from you. That was the worst thing he could have told me in sixth grade, man. I was, <laughs> I was so, every time I wore those damn shoes, I was just worried that somebody was going to take them. Like I, I swear to God, man, I was so worried that someone was going to take them from me. So, um, but you know, growing up in Baltimore, like it's this, this is nothing. You know, I mean, I, I get upset. I have my bad days, but it's nothing compared to like what other people go through in like places like Baltimore. So, um, I would say my competitive nature is what gets me through it. And like I, like I told you, I'm about to start a new job uh, in a few weeks here. So, you know, it's a bigger market. It's in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So, uh, still a very white state, but it's, uh, it's a bigger jump. Um, Bozeman is market 185 last time I checked, and Cedar Rapids is market 90. So it's like an 85 market jump. So, um, you know, I'm, just, I'm a competitor, so. It's like you're going from a, a low major to mid-major. Yeah, and what's the saying? A smooth, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. That's how I look at it. Right, right. So, all right. So, let's get into some of this bison thing. You are. I checked your Twitter today. You have about seventy three hundred tweets. But everybody knows the tweet that you sent out on March twenty fifth, two thousand twenty. You ain't. You, you are a brother at Yellowstone National Park. I ain't gonna lie, bro. I ain't know where Yellowstone National Park was at. <laughs> yeah, I ain't know where. Me it was at. <laughs> So I, you know, I, I, I thought it was in Utah, so I know where I was at. I ain't gonna lie. So Might as well be China, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you get you get to Yellowstone. Take us through the take us walk us through the steps of leading up to you setting up the camera. What you were doing? What what were you there for? So a, lot, a lot of people probably don't know why you were there. Then we'll get into tweeting all that stuff after that. 
So um, I've been to Yellowstone at least like 25 times. Like I, I'm in Bozeman. So Yellowstone is like an hour and a half from Bozeman. And you know, like Bo- Yellowstone made Bozeman what it is. Cause I don't know if you know this, but uh, Big Sky, Big Sky Resort and that whole area is uh, near, West, near Yellowstone too. That's where like uh, the Kardashians, Justin Timberlake, mm-hmm. all the famous celebrities come out here in the wintertime to ski. So it made Bozeman this booming place because uh, they fly in through the Bozeman airport. So Boz, like, Bozeman gets like 4 million visitors a year because of places like Big Sky and Yellowstone. So my boss is always like, when there, whenever there's a good story in Yellowstone, my boss loves sending me and I, I can't, like, I like Yellowstone, but it's horrible in the summertime because it's so many people, so many people. <laughs> And me, I just kind of got tired of the long drop. Because, you know, like, when you're doing everything yourself, when you're on the road for three hours, that cut that takes away from the time you have to work on a story. So mm-hmm. my boss always like, oh, you got to get down to Yellowstone. I'm just like, he knows it. See, I'm like, it's like going to Yellowstone, <laughs> man. But um, the coronavirus stuff is picking up, and they decided to close the park uh, because of coronavirus. And I'm like, damn, I got to Yellowstone again. <laughs> so uh, my bar sent me down there. And it wasn't that many people there. Because, you know, in March, you know, it's starting to get a little bit warmer in, like, Wyoming and Montana. So when uh, it's March, so I was expecting to see a handful of people. It wasn't that many people there because of the coronavirus stuff. So, you know, I get there and I'm um, shooting my B-roll, do my interviews and stuff. Um, I, did, I couldn't even interview the superintendent in person because of uh, – because of the coronavirus. So once I got to like outside the park, I just pulled over on the side of the road and I did a phone interview. I had my camera recording. I did a phone interview with the superintendent. So, you know, I go inside, I go inside the, I go to the entrance of the park, you know, I start shooting. And the one thing I noticed was there were bison everywhere because, you know, when the park is closed down, there aren't people or cars to scare them away. So I'm like, damn, they every, I mean, it was like, if I were to guess, it probably was at least like maybe like sixty bison mm-hmm. there. I mean, there's a lot of them. They were they all spread out, of course, right. but they were everywhere. So you know, the news you got you know we we record standups. You know, you basically in front of the camera. Hey, I'm Dion Broxton here at Yellowstone. We just closed the park because of coronavirus. So uh, you know, I, I don't really like animals that much. Like, I, I barely like dogs, you know? You know, you like the uh, big old rats from Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, but, you know, I've gotten used to them because I've been there so many times. So I've gotten used to them because they're pretty, they're pretty docile. If you don't bother them, they're pretty docile. So, you know, in my, this is how my mind works. I need to shoot somewhere where people can know I'm at Yellowstone. So perfect, the sign, you know, leaving Yellowstone National Park, like perfect. And then and when I pulled up to the scene, they were, it was like, I think it was like five or six of them. And they were, if I were to, I'm not good with like distance, but it, if I were to guess, they were probably like maybe like 30 or 40 yards away. Right, and right. and after, after being there so often, I was comfortable at that distance but they were slowly coming towards me. So I've done, uh, I've done a bunch of stories on Yellowstone. And I've I've done, I've done last summer, last summer I did a story on a girl who got tossed by a bison. 
some of my first summer there, I did a story on a guy who got drunk and was like taunting the bike. Like he got in front of it and was like, you know, playing with it and it like charged at him. So I've been, uh, I did another story where a park employee got attacked by an alp. Cause you know, um, it was a time of the season where the animals start having their babies and they're protective over their babies. So a park employee accidentally came up on a baby because it was like in between a car because like animals, when they, they, they will hide like elk and I, you probably think, how does this kid from Baltimore know all this stuff about animals? I mean, see, I'm sure you, have, you know now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, like elk, if, if it's like really hot outside, they'll hide their babies in between cars to keep them safe while they go look for food. So somebody accidentally stumbled on the elk, the baby, the baby elk, and the an elk attacked it, attacked that person. So I, I've, I know that these animals will attack. So when I get to the sign to start shooting my stuff, I see them like slowly creeping towards me. And the rule is uh, for, for, for bears and bears and wolves, a hundred yards distance at least. For all other wildlife in the park, you need to be at least 25 yards away. So this, this uh, bison is starting, it's like, it's like five or six of them. But the one closest to me, they, or they all were walking to me, but the one closest to me didn't break eye contact. We made eye contact, and he just kept walking. I'm like, I'm like what are you doing? Like, I'm like, I was like, what are you doing? Like, stop. like that girl, like that girl in the club. Yeah, he just kept. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? Stop. He just kept walking to. I, I didn't know, and he wasn't aggressive. He was still calm. But I'm just like, oh, if you're not going to stop, I'm gonna leave. And you can see my eyes like, when are you gonna stop? And I was like, you know what? Uh, I, you know uh, Mark Lamont Hill? Uh, I feel like I know the name, but uh, I can't think of his face right he's now. Like, he, um, he's, he used to work for uh, CNN and the Huffington Post, but he's pretty Oh, yeah, pretty yeah, yeah, popular. okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and he said, you know, he posted my video, and he said, black people don't wait around to investigate. They just get the hell out of there. And that's what I did. I was like, no, I'm, I'm getting out of there. So you look at back and forth, look at back and forth from the camera to the bike, the camera to the bike. I mean, what else are you saying to yourself? Like, is it going to stop creeping on the come up? Am I, I mean, when did you really feel like, okay, it's, I got to exit stage left? Um, bears, I know bears can run up to 35 miles per hour. It's about the same for a bison. And that's faster than a human. Because I think, I think Usain Bolt is clocked at running in like 28, 29 miles per hour or something like that. So I know these things are faster than me. So, and they, they, they ram you. So I'm, I'm like, if this thing rams me, cause my car is like right, my, my news vehicle is right there. And you know, I'm not gonna run cause I can't outrun it if it charged me. But so I'm thinking I gotta get in the car to keep myself safe. Cause I'm thinking like, if this thing rams me, it's gonna pin me up against the car and I'm dead. So I'm just like, let me just grab hit and just try to like not spook it. So that's why, like, people said I was calm, but I was, I mean, I was nervous, but part of me looking calm was not to spook it, you know? Because, you know, I think no matter what animal, if you, like, test an animal, they're going to buck back, you know? So I'm just like, don't make any sudden movements that might spook it. Because they could have just ran me up against that car and probably could have put me in a big dent in that car. That's all I was thinking about. Like, I, like, I need to, like, get to safety. So, and I didn't right, even so, know the camera was 
normally I stop recording, you know, but I was so spooked, I just picked the whole camera and the tripod up and just threw it in the back of the a car. <laughs> Man, you was man, you, you was out of man, you was out of there. Yeah. <laughs> then I see you post a video of you when you were at safe distance. How far were you when you posted that video of the of the bison roaming around at that point? See, um when I when I put the car when I put the camera in the car, there there's there's a thing called the archers in uh Yellowstone. Right. I drove yeah. towards right. that to like finish shooting my stuff. But they were still walking in that direction. I'm just like, damn, I can't touch a brick. So they I swear to God, man, they started walking that direction. Cause you know, is since there's no people in the park, they're more bold, I guess. And they started walking and they started walking in my direction again. I'm like, I'm not trying to do this again, man. They say that you look like them, got the same skin tone. Exactly. <laughs> so I put I put the camera back in the car, literally put the car in reverse and drove backwards for like 50 yards. So I knew I wouldn't be in their path. So I shoot my, uh, I shoot. I finish, I finally shoot what I was trying to shoot, and then I, um, I said, "Let me get." And in my mind, I wasn't even thinking about having evidence to prove to people. Because at this point, I'm not even thinking about posting the video. I'm just trying to get my stuff done. So in my mind, so well, I said, "Well, since they're right here, let me get some shots of them. Just you know, just because it's Yellowstone and you want to see animals." And then when I get back to the station. Cause, Cause, all of us news reporters, we always upload bloopers. Cause, like, I think one blooper I had, I was like walking down a, a a pathway to like a trail here in Bozeman, and I slipped. It was pretty funny, so I posted it on Twitter. That got like maybe like a hundred likes. So when I get back, I, I didn't even think it was that funny. I thought it was funny, but not that funny, you know. So when I get back to the station, I see the video. I'm like, you know what? I was, what what the hell? I was posted. And then, um, man, within like five minutes, it had like a hundred likes. I was like, whoa. Then ten minutes, it's in the thousands. I was like, oh man, this, I might be on to something. And like, and, and mind you, I still gotta get my work done. Like, so I gotta like edit, get my stuff ready for like the six o'clock show. I was just getting, uh, I was getting uh, messages, emails, phone, like. I, I couldn't help it. Like it, it, it should not have taken me that long to get my work done. But I just, I, I was at least on my phone like the whole time. And those like, and then somebody said, uh, people started saying, "Oh, I don't believe it. I think he faked it." And I was like, "Whoa, you know, I didn't because I got some video of them bison." And uh, and then what, and some people were defending me. Some people were saying like, "Ain't no black man gonna try to like get video of bison coming at him." Only thing he's thinking about is getting the hell up out of there, which is the which was the case. And I did post a video when I got a safe distance away to prove to people where there were bison there. You can you can even I don't know if they have like security cameras at Yellow, at Yellowstone or not, but you can that that day there were bison everywhere, and and anybody can. I think it was what March twenty fifth. Anybody can attest to that. There were bison all over the road that that day. But um, those next three days, man, I called out. That was on a Wednesday. I called out on Friday because I got so sick and tired of my phone just going off nonstop. I was like, I, 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 I told my boss, I can't work with all this. Like, I just called out because I didn't, I got tired of it. Um, I mean, I did interviews and stuff. Like, the interviews, like, for my media people, I was all for it. Like, CNN and the news stations, I'm all for it. 
but just like the Twitter notifications and just the random people who I didn't know, it was, I mean, I, I was appreciative, but it was, it was annoying. I was like, I'm, I'm tired of this. Like, let's go back to normal now. And now I'm fine because all the dust has settled and now I can like actually talk to people and respond to like your emails and stuff like that. Yeah. So I was happy when it blew over. Yeah. So going viral and people think it should be. No, I needed an assistant, man. Like I needed somebody to take all those phone calls and, and I was, you know, I'm doing all this stuff myself. I think I did like maybe 20 interviews and I was just, I was just so overwhelmed, man. Like I got, I got, like, I love like my media people. I did a a radio show in uh, Pennsylvania, and they was they were surprised that I like got back to them and agreed to do it. I'm like, no, like, I get it, man. We work in the same industry. Like, I know how how you know you you hoping for an interview. I know how that can change it day around. You know, if I can get someone, land somebody to interview, it makes you happy. Oh, yes, like I got this person. So like. I don't. I don't think I turned down that one single uh, interview to do because I, I get it, you know, for uh, people who work in the media. Yeah, hey. When I sent you, when I sent you that email, I'm like, man, this dude is so viral. But then I was like, man, he he's from Baltimore, so I know he down to earth. And then he hit me back. I was like, yes. <laughs> yep. And I uh, I looked you up, and I was like, man, he got the LSU coach on there. Let me give this a shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, hey. And, and people still ask me, you know, I interviewed uh, Coach Wade you know, about two weeks ago. I just posted it recently. And people were like, man, there's no way you're going to get Coach Wade. He ain't going to talk to you. you know, he ain't doing no press right now for the whole situation. Yeah. I was like, you know, I, I just appreciate you, you know, coming on and, 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 you know, sharing some stories and, you know, being real. And, you know, again, like you said, your, your joint been blowing up. You know, I, I don't even know what it's like to, to have something viral. I mean, I looked at this morning, and like almost 12 million views on it. Man, I still got to be one of the best means there. I mean, you had NFL people, like teams, and WBA, yeah. all these sports teams. So, I mean, what was that like? Um, I, I was upset that the Ravens didn't use it, I would have to say. But I posted yeah. – the post on, they sent me the uh, a poster, and yeah, I posted that on Twitter. And uh, the Ravens' Twitter account liked the picture. You know, I got my Ravens hoodie on and my Orioles hat on. and then um. Somebody from the Ravens emailed me and said they wanted me to like be like an ambassador to the same. I forgot what the the right terminology is, right. but it was like, yeah, we're gonna send you some stuff. You know, we want to keep up with you. I'm like, oh my, like, about time. What y'all been waiting on, man? I've been here. For, I've been here for a minute. What y'all been waiting on? Like, you, the, you were there. You, you were there doing stats and everything back in the day. Yeah. Like, what y'all waiting on? And that, that like, like I'm I'm appreciative of all like the people and stuff who reached out to me but the ravens that was a big one i was waiting for that one man so yeah, um cool. we talked about the details yet it's still like preliminary but uh it was like yeah let, let us know when you're back in town this and that so i'm like oh yeah i'm about to get me a, a jersey signed by lamar <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're gonna be in the bathroom for the team you you get more than jersey you're gonna get that file Get that, yo, Parker, hey, water. Yeah, let me. I, I can shoot up. See, I still got a little something left in the tank. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you the right height, six three. You know what I'm saying? Got good yeah. hands, receiver. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I go across the middle. I get hit one time. I'll be done. No, no, I no. I'm done. I'm sorry. <laughs> so what's on the horizon for you, brother? I know you mentioned you got a, you got a a new a new opportunity coming coming about. You know. 
not because of the uh, bison fame, some stuff you've been working on before that. You know, what else yep. do you got or you see yourself doing in the future um, to capitalize on this momentum that you have? Yeah, that's 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 the important thing because I, I feel like I haven't really capitalized off the bison video yet. I mean, what it has done is put my name and face in front of a lot of people. Like once, like after the video, when I would uh, contact people to do interviews with them, they already knew who I was. So that, that helps me out a lot. Cause it's like, even if they're hesitant about doing an interview, it's like, oh crap, I really want to meet the Bison guy. Yes, I'll do the interview, you know? That, that has helped me out a lot. And um, down the road, and you know, like I told you, the goal was for me was to always get back to Baltimore. But now after exploring the country and seeing so much, I want to keep exploring the country, you know? Um, Baltimore will always be there for me. But, like, the opportunity and the time to explore the country won't be, you know, once I settle down and have kids and stuff like that, that that's not going to be easy to do. So I want to keep exploring. Maybe Baltimore might be in the uh, future. I'm not sure yet. But um, I just want to be happy. Like, I just, everybody keeps saying, like, I just want to be happy. You know, just I, I enjoy what I do. Um, one thing that I was, I, I really enjoy, I, I was a film minor in college. So I, I just, I enjoy anything that's storytelling. So I was thinking that maybe down the road, I'll be like a documentary filmmaker, something like that. Cause it's still, it's still storytelling, you know? So I just, um, I'm just taking it one day at a time and just hope I'm in a position where I'm happy. You know, of course, you know, that involves taking a lot of money. That'd be great too. <laughs> I gotta get that bad. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I didn't get nothing for that. Nothing, because my station, they own the rights to the video, technically. And then uh, Yellowstone, they're, I, you know, it's a conflict of interest to receive money from uh, people you interview. And I, they, I mean, and the National Park Service, they're a nonprofit anyway. So they wouldn't, like, pay me for nothing, you know, because they're a nonprofit. So I was just like, if I wasn't working in journalism, and if I did something that, I don't know, like, a, like say I went viral for like a Popeye's, for like, like say I was eating like a Popeye's chicken sandwich and I went viral for that, Popeye's can then call me and say, hey, we want to pay you to do a commercial. It doesn't work that way with uh, a nonprofit in, in journalism. So it's like, I just got to just deal with it, I guess. <laughs> and so, that, so basically, you'll get your money down the road from all the contacts you have made and things of that nature. Exactly. Exactly. All right. All right. Well, brother, Mr. Dion, man, I appreciate you coming on No Referees Podcast, sharing your stories. Everyone around the country knows you from the Bison fame, but, you know, I really wanted to tap into that Baltimore culture because it's so fascinating to me. And Again, like I mentioned at the outset, I knew as soon as I heard those words come out your mouth on that tweet, I knew you were from Baltimore. And you can't, if, if y'all don't know, yeah, y'all better watch The Wire. Y'all better watch uh, any shows of Baltimore because the it really wasn't the first part. It was until you said, with you, I knew it was Baltimore. Everybody said the same thing. <laughs> so everybody, please go follow uh, Dion on his social media account. You can search for him at Dion Broxton. Uh, Mr. Four One, Mr. Four One, though, appreciate you coming on here, Dion Broxton, man. Thank you, I appreciate that, and stay in touch too. I'll follow you and uh, all your social media. Yeah, cool, man. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. 
Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.